0: Hello and welcome to Genre Stop, the podcast where we read and review genre fiction. You're here for an extra special episode with Bree.
1: Hello, a lover of all things speculative, <laughs> and Scott, a skeptic, a skeptic of all things fantastical.
0: Right, and we also are with a special guest host, second time, not second fiddle, first fiddle in the symphony orchestra. Is Christina Jensen. Say hello.
1: Hello.
0: Why don't you give us a little introduction to the book, and then we will head off. On a right. magical trip to Mars. All right. On a spaceship.
1: Up. Uh, anything to, else? No. All right. On The Martian, someone is left on Mars, and that's the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> kind of true.
1: Okay. Really. Uh, well, really, that is the book. But also, The Martian is Andy Weir's 2011 debut novel about an astronaut stranded on Mars. The astronaut, heroically named Mark Watney, comes to half buried in the sand after being injured during a fierce Martian sandstorm. Upon waking, he finds the rest of the crew members of Ares 3 have left the planet after reasonably assuming that Watney had been killed during the storm. Completely alone and with only a few hundred days worth of food, Watney must figure out how to stay alive uh, while waiting for the next Ares mission to arrive, an event that is scheduled four years in the future. Luckily, Watney is a botanist engineer astronaut with the irrepressible cheer and hackneyed sense of humor found in only the most grating of uncles. (laughs) He soon figures out how to grow potatoes and adjust oxygen levels and all the other survivalist staples. We learn about all this through his log entries in which he details many a soul. Oh, what's a soul? A soul is the word for day on Mars. It's also the word for sun in Spanish. And it's the bottom of shoes and the metaphysical essence of a personality and a synonym for only. So we read about- the a the only lot-
0: kind of plane I fly on.
1: All right. So while all this diary keeping is going on during the souls, the noblemen and women at NASA are using satellite technology to What's discover- What's NASA stand for? Um, fuck <laughs> me. You hear the Kennedy Space Center shutdown?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. <sighs>
1: Right to the heart. All right, forgetting that NASA moment. So NASA stands for something important. And uh, so they see through these satellite photos, discover and keep tabs on Watney. See the show notes after for my step-by-step guess at how satellites really work. (laughs) So they eventually make contact with Watney and they all put their heads together and try to figure out a way to get Watney back to Earth alive. As the nation looks on with a collective, passionate interest, usually reserved for school shootings, the <laughs> crew of Ares Three, the Abandoners as I call them, adjust course and spoiler alert, eventually save Watney. Watney is really delighted. He does a lot of fist pumping and then he rapes Sansa. <laughs> um, the whole book wraps up with a meditation on how great it is that people are basically good and love helping each other. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So Yeah. Um, in terms of thematic concerns, The Martian seems unironically concerned with the triumph of the human spirit over adversity. I hate saying that, but I think that's actually what the book is trying to be. So maybe y'all can uh, peel back some more layers for me. So, before we get into a discussion of the book, Christina, you chose this book. I did. Inflicted, possibly, but chose (laughs) it. So I want to know about why you chose it, but first I want to know a little bit about your relationship with genre fiction in general.
2: Okay, I really don't have much experience or relationship with genre fiction. I, Did it jilt you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I looked through my Goodreads catalog, nothing there would have predicted Picking the Martian. The big sort of defining moment. Is it all like Dostoevsky? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or at least Russians in general. Yeah, you know? A yeah. little Tolstoy because I'm flippant like that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think the defining moment of my childhood was applying to work in a bookstore when I was 16. And being told that it was a sci-fi fantasy bookstore, and did I read sci-fi or fantasy or enjoy it? And I said, oh yeah, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like anybody born during the Reagan administration. Oh yeah. And was told, well that's just teenage girl drama. And that might have planted the seeds of thinking that sci-fi and fantasy were slightly exclusionary towards women, which I don't think I've been fully disavowed of. Yeah. I'm going to throw That's that out sure. there. But
1: I think like but a lot of... all the great female characters in this book.
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, like all the great female characters in sci-fi and fantasy, like Buffy and Ripley and dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I love sci-fi and fantasy movies, and I think like a lot of people, I fell in love with Game of Thrones, the TV show, and then read the books very compulsively, and wanted to see what else was out there. And then, you know, my friend Scott and Bree got this crazy idea to do a podcast about genre fiction. Mm-hmm. You mean your bosses. Just <laughs> I want to set up the financial hierarchy. <laughs> my overall forced my hand. Thank you. So I was presented with the idea that if I wanted to come on here, I had to pick a book and it had to be a good choice. <laughs> yeah. And so why I picked The Martian? Um, I had had an eye up for something I was interested in reading and... I had been told over and over again by multiple people who were into sci-fi fantasy, who weren't into sci-fi fantasy, that this book is amazing, you can't put it down, you're gonna sink into it, you're gonna read it in one sitting, I heard it from people that I really trusted, I liked the cover art, I thought it was interesting, and uh, I thought, yeah, let's give it a chance. So basically, reputation. Yeah, sure. and I think that I made That's this what sort got of, me to Patrick Rothfuss, so it's not always reliable. <laughs> it can be dangerous. Well, and I think I made this sort of gamble in my head because when I was told it's about this guy stranded on Mars, I was so bored already because <laughs> I thought back to sitting in the theater for Cast Away just looking at my watch over and over again. And um, Desert Island, stranded, man-against-the-elements fiction, I find so boring. And oh. so... But I took a chance because I was told by a friend... The last 50 pages, you can't put it down. And I thought, if anything, it might suck, at least I get to subject breed to something terrible
1: <laughs> and right. making her suffer. So that's where you come down on man versus nature. Bored. So bored. Scott?
0: I'm intrigued. I wouldn't have thought that our recommender would have been so reflexively against the theme that seemed like... What the book was (laughs) seemed like it wouldn't
1: a glutton for punishment,
0: right? So on the other hand, though, I kind of like those in that I I enjoy stripped down, simple plots or narratives, and so I was not at all put off in the abstract by what this is. You know, cool. You're on. You're on Mars. You're the only one there you know? And you do think that's
1: what this was, right? Like, Man Against the Elements?
0: In Andy Weir's ideal world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, no, I don't think. Okay, I mean, I think interesting. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I think us just formulating the three words Man Against Elements is more contextualization than he's <laughs> at all put into this. I mean, I don't want to preempt my, like, big thoughts.
1: Oh, preempt your big thoughts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, there are a couple. One is the is the fact that this is screaming out for some sort of existential reading.
1: I thought you were saying, Andy, we're screaming out for NASA to let him be an astronaut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, he
1: wants it. Did you see his picture? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As a Floridian, I know an astronaut when I see <laughs> one. And I know a
2: would-be astronaut when
1: I see, see one, and there's a
2: difference. I looked in and thought, that's a guy who's going to turn the chair around, sit down like this AC speaker, <laughs> <laughs> and rap to the kids about how cool Jesus is. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Such a she good is point, too. He's the
2: coolest too. kids preacher. There's yeah.
0: a thin line with astronauts between that and the drive 16 hours straight in a diaper <laughs> to get to Florida. Yeah,
2: Desperate Love Triangle. Yeah, wasn't it? that was yeah. it. Yeah. The power of love.
0: Yeah. All
1: lines lead to Florida.
0: So, anyway, yeah, my big thought, I guess, was yeah, this seemed, there is a space, obviously, for the, the engineer by numbers. Uh, how do I get out of here? What do I do? How do I utilize stuff? There was one time I remember where he said something like, That actually dealt with his own emotions or dealing with what it means to be the only person on this barren Mm -hmm. planet a couple times. Oh,
1: when there was no sound. When he got away from the... Yes. He couldn't see the... Where's the place he lived? The Hab? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The Hab. He couldn't see the Hab.
0: In other news, I still don't know what EVA means. (laughs) That was one where I got through... And I figured out... Hab took me a long time, so yeah. I realized that meant habitat. But EVA, I'm still. What is he, do we know what EVA means? I
2: don't know what it stands for. That's when it's, he, it's, it's when he's in the spacesuit,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Out of the Hab.
0: Anytime he goes outside of the Hab, he's doing an EVA, which is.
1: I felt enough that I knew in the what first EVA three pages. was. Yes. Yes. I felt like I didn't have to know. Anyway. It means skip to the end of the diary entry and see if he died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. So, anyway, yeah, there was one time when he made that big kind of grand gesture, and quickly followed it up with, like, something about chemistry. I don't know. But you could tell when you're reading into what the author's doing that he doesn't realize that he's actually making a broader existential claim about what this does to your identity or, like, your conception of humanity. Although I feedback, or I go back on myself now and think, like, maybe that's on purpose and, like... It wasn't. God. But, like, the only way you can survive this is to, like, get rid of that kind of, like, meandering part of your consciousness and just focus on yeah. but I think you're right yeah. anyway so I don't know what, what did you guys think in, in that terms with the man versus nature Brie?
1: um I hate all man versus nature stories. you
0: love the edge
1: okay that's so... man versus bear is a little <laughs> yeah, different first a of all movie. what
0: how's bear not nature
1: What well, one man can do another man can do sorry it's a quote from the edge <laughs> okay see, you're <laughs> shit I've been wanting to get it in for a while well yeah but um...
0: it's it's hard to say that right if you say I hate man versus nature
1: Um, Okay, yeah, there are some really cheesy, self-aware, ridiculous movies like The Edge that I love. Um, I hate all submarine stories. I hate all mountain climbing stories. I hate that fucking movie where James Franco cuts his arm off. Oh, except, (laughs) I should say, (laughs) I should say, um, the one thing I like about survival stories, which this story hinted at but didn't do, the only interesting way to deal with man versus nature is cannibalism. So, like, alive. Yeah, that's fair. The movie made me unhappy, but I liked when they ate Ethan Hawke. Or I liked that Ethan Hawke ate someone. I forget what happened. I, mean, I love he how, ate someone. Yeah.
0: I love how simultaneously concrete and wrong that statement is <laughs> <laughs> about the only way to do Man vs. Nature.
1: I always just want the person to die quickly, and so I don't have to deal with their story. It's humane, really. Well, the only way to make me invested in Man vs. Nature's story is to make the character really interesting for me, or to make... To make the character an interesting thinker, mm-hmm. so that the like philosophical lens through which I'm seeing their ordeal, you know, brings something to the table. This was the most bland, generic mind through which to experience that story. That it, I thought it was completely dull.
0: Okay, well then here's where I think we might not be being generous. So this is like so two questions. This is really popular.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe one is what you think is popular about this. What grabs people? Idiot uh, masses. <laughs> and. Kind of like you said, um, this is a stupid mind.
1: I, I didn't I say stupid.
0: This is an I said bland mind.
1: and generic. Bland and yeah. generic.
0: So I think maybe we're just, or you're the wrong audience for this. Because it was so committed to not being kind of interesting. It was just committed to, here is how you would engineer survival yeah. on this landscape. And maybe I, I was thinking, maybe that's, it's speaking to a different audience. And it's just not going to work for, for us. I don't know. What do you think, Christina?
2: I totally forgot the second question, but the first one, why is it so popular? I mean, I think it really, one of the major factors of popularity is that when I was reading it, I was genuinely enjoying it, but thinking, why am I enjoying it? I'm embarrassed Mm. that I'm enjoying it. This isn't deep. But... I think a lot of people really think this is a smart book, and sorry, that sounds dismissive of people, but apparently the science, and my scientific knowledge is l- limited to King Philip came over for Great Spaghetti. That's <laughs> good. I don't know if the well, science and is your well. your PhD
0: in nuclear physics, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Experimental physics. <laughs> okay, come on, shit. man. <laughs> sorry. Um, but from what I've read from numerous Reviews, and I have friends who do know more than acronyms, is that the science <laughs> are really sound here, and so I think people do really appreciate that. Clearly, Andy Weir might not be able to speak to the depths of the human experience, but he has backed up all of his research in the survival elements. Mm. So I think people feel like it's a smart read.
0: So <laughs> did some of the tension come from like actually seeing him manufacture yeah. these survival techniques?
2: For me, I I think what recommended is I thought it was really well paced. Mm, It's not deep, but like I was honestly like, it sounds really cheesy, but I was kind of on the edge of my seat. I didn't want to know what happened next. I didn't put it down at certain points. I just don't think that that's what the selling point is. I think the selling point is the mechanical sciences. I think that's actually what's really holding it back.
0: So, so what makes it popular is also what maybe Kind of is.
2: And, and, yeah, I wonder how it's going to translate into the eventual film, which I feel like we have to announce at some point, is that you're going to hear a lot oh, yeah. more about this book. Exclusive
0: <laughs> right here on Genre Stop, right? We, um, this will be a film starring uh, Haley Steinfeld.
1: With that, or with the you saying that the science is sound in this, which I feel like, which is, is what I've heard, which I is can't say totally it. seems believable because it, the science seemed very easy to understand. So it seemed yeah. like something that maybe he could have pulled off of a lot of Google searches. My thing Ouch. is that I don't as a, it's a fiction book, yeah. so I don't actually care if the science is real. I yeah. want the sci- I want the scientific descriptions of what he's doing to be interesting. And I had such a hard time not comparing this book to Blindsight because it was the last sci-fi book we read. In which I felt like I had no fucking idea what was going on, but the language was combustible and dark and kind of would have moments of being a little gorgeous. And this, I mean, yeah, maybe the science was real, but the voice was so generic. It it was like it was trying to be like just the voice of every man, like a likable person, like, hey, I'm a nice
2: guy. And I think there's so much more to say about how they drew the personality. I think the science, like, I thought in my head, it comes down to the Star Trek divide for me, where <laughs> in the original Star Trek, you find out that the Enterprise... We're now a real, like, sci-fi podcast. <laughs> you really are. Thank you. So the original Star Trek, you t- or you're you told it's powered. It can go into warp speed because it's an, an it's a matter-anti-matter collision. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good, fair enough to me. Yeah. In the last Star Trek movie, Star Trek... Star Trek Into Darkness? Star Trek... <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw it. Great movie. Don't miss it. Uh, <laughs> death is cured through magic blood.
1: Is that the one with, like, young, sexy Spock? Means it is, yeah. Spock? It's
2: young, sexy Spock, Sherlock Holmes, and Sherlock Holmes has magic blood that saves Captain Kirk. And so I could trying, have used some of that in The Martian. It's good stuff. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that make the science sound believable, but I don't need it to be completely factual. I will suspend disbelief as long as it's not <laughs> magic blood cures death. So the plot of this book, I thought a lot of it was... Mark identifies problem. Mark explains what the cause of the problem <laughs> is. Mark thinks of solution to the problem. Mark so- Mark applies solution to the problem. Lather yeah. rinse repeat fifty times. Yeah. And like the first three times you do that, it's somewhat interesting. And I am I've built trust in the character. He's smart. He's a problem solver. I don't need to see that exact same repetition the other forty-eight times.
0: What about the what about the I writing? Mean, I just in saying
1: it was I don't know. Saying it was paced well is so odd for me because every two notes I would say I'm so bored. I'm so bored. I mean, I think I
2: did hit a breaking point right before they go back to, spoiler alert, Earth, and you find <laughs> it. They realize he's still alive. I was hitting a breaking point where I thought, what have I gotten us into? I'm going to get so much crap. This. And then they went back to Earth, and I was instantly back into the drama. And I felt like every time I was getting a little bit bored with, he's stringing along words. They know our words. I don't know why they're together in a sentence. Something else is broken. He's fixing it. We go back to seeing somebody observing the monarch, we go back to the spaceship of his team, trying to figure out how to get them. And I thought that that kept the pace rolling along when I was getting a little bit exhausted.
0: I had, I had thoughts about the, the perspective switch, too. I don't know. Okay. What did you think about that, Bree?
1: Well, tell me first. What did you think?
0: I was actually... Um, I agree that in the long run, I was glad those were there to break up the monotony of his own problem-solving on Mars. As, like, pieces of <laughs> narrative and writing and characterization... Yeah. Oh, they're bad. It was pretty bad. Yeah. But also, I thought, just because... I, okay, it surprised me, and I was a little disappointed. The way the book was set up, it was just... It was first person. Like, he's talking.
2: But it was also oddly third person at times. Yes.
0: With
1: no warning. Oh, God, the movie trailer voiceovers. Oh, <sighs> that was bad.
0: But So when it first went to Back to Earth, I thought, oh, this is him, like, writing this. Like, mm-hmm. he has no way to know this, and, like, we're, we're confined to his own story. And so I thought this was just him surmising about ways in which he could be rescued or something. And then when I found out, like, 100 pages later that, oh, this is actually, like, what's going on on Earth, I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is nothing.
1: Or like a, a representative quote for what's going on on Earth. Venkat says, turns to another character, naturally, and says, it's amazing how much red tape gets cut when everybody's rooting for one man to survive.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Just
1: a little piece of it. Oh, or we could go to the moment when Bruce slumps in his chair and says, Sheesh, we're scientists, for Christ's sake. What the hell? (laughs) Yeah. That was all of the dialogue on the Earth segment.
2: You should at least do the Annie lines, because those physically hurt me. Which
0: Which one was she? She, she, Oh, she was the publicist?
2: Yeah, who said... Fuck me raw at bad news. <laughs> I wrote down fuck s- me raw. That was so bad. This is the woman who another female character tells you she's everything, and I don't have the quote, but she's everything I want to be. Smart, respected, beautiful.
1: I mean, yeah, that was one of the things it's that- It's bad. Those segments, the way they would have the people in NASA speak to each other and mm-hmm. like how they'd say fuck a lot, it was like the segments where Alan Weir, is that his name? Mm-hmm. The segments where Alan Weir was like trying to <laughs> not seem Mormon. You know, like, oh, <laughs> put in this-
0: I mean, should we pile on to the writing? Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. That's... Go ahead.
1: Tell me your favorite parts.
0: <laughs> it was just hard. I mean, there's so many. Okay, so this is a very this is a poorly written book. It's just, it felt like juvenilia to me. I mean, yeah. that it was kind of jarring transition between like heavy duty science and an actual middle schooler. And I know, and I think this was probably for some people reading it, that this was supposed to be levity. But it came across to me as so grating. At one point, he said, that's what she said. And I couldn't take it. And, like, it was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be funny. Had to like
1: his gay joke, though.
0: When he said, like, oh, here comes the gay probe. gay probe, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, and, like, also this, like, weird, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. Whatever psychological stuff goes into his thoughts on disco versus how badly he uses that, like, at least 20 times as, like, an easy joke to make fun of disco. Hating disco says something weird about someone's sexuality to begin with. (laughs) And maybe, like potentially racist things, but disco's fucking great, but just using it again and again, as if, like, the the whole audience understands that, like, disco sucks, or, like, it's funny if I say, like, no more disco, I don't know, bad. It was awkward. Yeah, the humor
2: was, I was told it was really funny, it was, like, dad humor, I appreciated that that he was trying to make jokes at certain times, but it was pretty awkward. Every time he did
1: yay, exclamation point, (laughs) it hurt me, physically. (laughs) I mean, a book in which someone is almost every entry making jokes, and I never laugh. Like, the jokes are never funny. Like, it's not even about characterization at that point. Except, I guess we're supposed to be, you know, at some point, when one of the people back on Earth said, like, have you met Watney? Yeah. I guess we're supposed to think that he really is, like, this true optimist. And I think we're supposed to be invested in that. You know, the way that something bad happens, and he's just like, okay, I'll fix it. But that actually, like kind of sucked all the suspense out of the story for me. The fact that he never had a really despairing moment. Yeah, that was a huge issue for me because I felt um, I could on, so there's this really great Mary
2: Roach book called Packing for Mars where she talks about what it's like doing a space mission, the psychology of astronauts, and you are told over and over again they're a unique personality, which Andy Weir really took and just like sandblasted down to his <laughs> most bland point. But this idea that they have to be like absolute go-getters, type Bay, overachievers who are also so great at following orders, it's a unique personality trait that you don't find a lot but I feel like Anthony just really thought oh he's a great I think I at some point I thought okay he's the blandest parts of Han Solo and Captain Malcolm Reynolds and that one jock who was nice to Andy Weir in high school <laughs> put in a blender with a dash of milk that's Mark Watney
0: and there needs to be a way to like characterize your character that way and like make it clear to your audience that this isn't like my tone as a writer and I think it wasn't, oh, right? like it.
1: Yeah. And the p- points on Earth were a great opportunity to show that. Right, right. A different voice, which were lost. At some point, and this was after that I learned it was going to be made into a movie, but at some point, all those points on Earth, uh, I felt like I wasn't even reading a novel. I felt like I was reading someone's summary of a screenplay. Yeah, it was a
2: script treatment. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Just like, here's what's going to happen in this scene. They were so cinematic, the cuts to as he was in the rover going toward the sandstorm, then they would be on CNN saying like, he's headed toward the sandstorm, he doesn't see it. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, should we talk about the publishing history? Because that was yeah, also one that... of the things that recommended it to me. I
2: liked the idea that that he self-published it on his blog and then put it on Amazon for ninety-nine cents. I like anything that sort of flies in the face of the publishing industry. I'm really excited by the idea of self-publishing, and wow. I was really excited by this being like the breakaway example that self-publishing works as a model. But when I was reading, I thought, yeah, it feels like a bunch of blog entries coming together, and it is easy because it's it's Mark Watney's, and he's a scientist. He's not, you know, he doesn't have an MFA. So why would he throw in beautiful similes?
0: Yeah, so that's that's interesting. Should we should we do a segment?
1: Would you live in this world? How'd you do? (laughs) In this world. Christina? Stranded on Mars. How
0: would you how would you do in this world? Well let
1: me say, if the
2: world is a future America where we put tons of funding into NASA, yes I want to live (laughs) in that world. That sounds great. But yeah, if it's on Mars, hell no.
0: How do you think you'd do? day one you're the only you've made it back to the hab
2: yeah i mean he i think he gave us like three good ways of how he would commit suicide in worst case scenario and i'm taking the first one out there (laughs) exactly i mean no i would
0: obviously die
1: very quickly and painfully brie uh yeah well sort of the undercurrent throughout this entire book i don't know if y'all caught it with his growing dependency on valium (laughs) and other painkillers It's true. He loved making jokes about it, but, like, obviously it was becoming debilitating. Oh, my God, back. So, yeah, I would have realized I was stuck on Mars. I would have gone into the Hab. I would have eaten six meals a day (laughs) because I'm going to burn it all out. I would take the painkillers, and then I would kill myself using the morphine on the Hab. So I think I would have made it about 25 souls. Yeah. Yeah. And then think of all the millions of dollars they could have saved. And the Chinese could have put their the probe up there. I mean, all approach. of this shit could have happened. It's
0: just your fucking Chinese propaganda.
1: <laughs> well, the morphine plus the Mars landscape, that's a great trip to go out on. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. Um, because, well, I mean, that goes back to the man versus nature shit. Um,
0: Woman versus nature.
1: If I was stranded... I'm still not interested in that as an author. <laughs> if I was stranded after a shipwreck and I had a gun and sharks were circling, I would kill myself. I would never try to shoot a shark. So, like, that's my attitude towards survival. What? Yeah,
2: because you'd care for the life of the shark, because you would realize it was a futile no, survival. I'm gonna chance. fucking
1: hit the tip of its fin, and then it's gonna eat me. Okay. and I'm not gonna be able to kill myself in time. Okay. I'm very concerned with being able to kill myself in time
0: before you reach maximum pain. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah before I reach any pain, really. Remember, I'm eating six meals a day and taking <laughs> painkillers. Yes, yeah,
0: it's true. How
1: about you, Scott? Oh my God, you, you'd try, wouldn't you?
0: <laughs> I I don't know why you guys are putting yourself in his shoes. I'm I'm on I'm at NASA. <laughs> I'm the publicist. Yeah,
2: you're Annie. I'll host yeah. that CNN show. Somebody will fuck you <laughs> raw in the worst case scenario.
0: Exactly. So, what did you guys think of the, the the mini romance on on board the Hermes?
2: I mean, I thought there was more tension between um, Mindy <laughs> Park and oh. Bangman. I was
1: waiting for them to fuck, and that never happened. Yeah. Fingers crossed for the movie. Yes. But once I learned it was going to be a movie, I was thinking at least with the Johansson is the girl, the spaceship, who, mm-hmm. the girl in the spaceship who I guess has sex like. There's a chance for boobs. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> something to watch it for. There's some yeah. reason. Boobs in zero gravity, too.
0: Speaking of boobs or something, like, I mean, I think part of the appeal is that this is supposed to be really, like, warts and all. Like, what you do. Like, he's using his own fecal matter to yeah. fertilize. He didn't masturbate? Did he not masturbate? He did
1: not masturbate once. I don't believe it. I mean, that's the thing. There was
0: and it, like I'm sure he could have done some scientific he shit with the semen he would have invented
1: the loop real easily <laughs>
0: oh yeah exactly he had the
2: ability We had the technology yeah
0: Siemens gotta do something
1: I mean completely and I feel like that's part of the whole gross uncle-y tone of this book not gross like that uncle but like I mean like dumb uncle different uncle I have a lot of uncles <laughs> um
0: I, break I did
2: think it was interesting. I was waiting until I thought, I don't know if he's straight or not, or if he's white or black. I'm assuming he's written to be white, but I don't know if he's straight or gay. And I thought, maybe, maybe... Andy will just throw the curveball where you think oh man I remember back when I was in Chicago with Brian and we had those great times and then you know at think night you in and you find out he's straight and I was just holding out I thought maybe that would be one interesting character yeah. trait I, I mean, it he was a is. straight white man from the second syllable because you don't know much about him and I thought that um, was interesting um, is how little I went through and wrote like a list of what biographical details do I have mm. about Mark Wallen
1: is that interesting I,
2: okay <laughs> so this is the test that I give characters when I read stuff is can you describe them is this like the Myers-Briggs no it's this thing from this, um. I think I read a review once that said, do this when you watch a movie. You don't
1: have to credit the review. It's yours. Sorry. It's yours. It's my brilliant idea. But
2: <laughs> can you describe a character to somebody who hasn't read, seen the media, who this character is not using a description of what they look like, their mm-hmm. profession, or what their costume is? And I thought, I can do that with Mark Watley. Like, Watney. I can say, like, he's very brave, he's very resourceful, he's very courageous, he's very inventive, but I was like, that's a pretty land descriptives yeah. he's not introspective I can fill that blank in
0: it's true he at one point wrote little messages to all the people in the, in the spaceship coming uh, back
2: his best friend got a pretty big brush off
0: oh yeah it was just strange and again just seemed really like this is like a middle school book like yeah. he was at one point he was like hey I know you're coming back to get me but like she really likes you you need to go for <laughs>
1: it no, that was ridiculous and how about all the schmaltzy scenes of once the Ares crew decides to turn around we get one scene with each of their family members saying I won't see you for another year Yeah, like I don't care about any of these people and also like I'm sorry but these astronauts like toughen up okay you don't turn around it's one fucking person he's gone you left him (laughs) Like, they're all acting so shaken by the whole thing. I assume most astronauts die every day. That's weird. uh, End of (laughs) podcast. Do
2: you think if Andy Ware was about a rioter, that that one interaction between, like, the German scientist and his wife could have given you, like, a really in-depth view into his personality? No, Mm -hmm. it was
1: so cliché. Like, how do I... It was the scene from... From Armageddon. Oh, God, it was. When the people are coming on the screen, mm-hmm. and he gets to say goodbye. I God. mean.
0: Oh, that unpopular movie, Armageddon? <laughs> you mean one of the defining films of the 90s? Great movie.
1: It was, I feel like, uh, I was actually listening to this recently. And Armageddon is seen by the polyamorous community as kind of like a, an early representation. Wait, how so? Because Kate Beckinsale was in love with both Josh Hartman... You're Hartnett thinking about Pearl Harbor. ...and, <laughs> and the other person who oh. it. Pearl Harbor. Exactly.
2: And all the polyamorous community clings to that as opposed to like all the movies made during the 70s exploring the free love movie. No, no, no. And Pearl Harbor It's is not worthy. about free love, Christina. It's I'm about there.
0: communication. It wasn't the Japanese in 41. It was some comics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we...
0: We are war criminals for what we did.
1: All right, I retract all of my comments about the movie Pearl Harbor. <laughs> okay, can I throw out an idea that I had
2: about the book? Yes. Because, like I said, I did like genuinely. I'll do it. I'll make another movie, <laughs> competing franchise. When I was reading this, I was enjoying it, and yeah, it really. I mean, it hits you over and over the head over and over again. He has no emotional depth. He feels no <laughs> sorrow, no despair, no frustration. I mean, occasionally he says fuck. Mm-hmm. Woo, that's like the extent of his mm-hmm. emotional peaks and valleys. Um, and I had this idea that like the prompt of there's one man, he's left on Mars, and he's the first man to die on Mars is a good p- prompt, and what would you do if you gave that to a room full of MFA writers, you'd get, like, 50 examples of, like, the futility of humanity and, like, what does it mean to be alone in isolation and, like,
1: And one your with identity. awesome aliens.
2: Yeah. yeah. Or saying. if you gave it to, like, a team of, like, thriller writers, um, and I can't think of my name off the top of my head, but, you know, you'd Michael get Jackson. a lot of, like, pacing of, like, this is, like, the fight for survival. You know, if you gave it to Michael Bay writing a script treatment, you'd get, a, you know, explosion, explosion, explosion. Um, and that there is something special I think I brushed over his scientific knowledge but I think there is something special that should be acknowledged and credited that he did create
1: something like if not great at least unique absolutely no (laughs) okay no just a hard no what do you mean unique
0: I think no 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 I think kind of got me I think whatever you just said needs to be transcribed put on two sheets of paper and stapled to the start of every Martian (laughs) copy out there so people can like try and justify what they're about to read. I mean, because I was
1: fighting to justify it. Honestly though, no, this was like, I thought there was actually nothing unique about this. It was trite and generic and had no real voice in it. And as far as like, one astronaut stranded on Mars, that's yeah. as far as it got. I don't even, Scott, I still don't know when you mentioned the existential themes that maybe the book was going for. I don't know what you meant.
0: No, but. I think it was, he backed into it he didn't realize. It. Okay, yeah, yeah, I
2: mean, throwing this out there though, would you want to hear him write about the struggle of the humans
1: here? Uh, yeah, that book is called I Agyar, mean, and I do want to read it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, here's here's the Could middle he ground. Could he write it, you know? No, but here's the middle ground between like those big points. And I think that's a good point. And I think I fall somewhere in between, not on enjoyment, it was horrible. But um on whether like the way it was presented is valid. And I think I'm with Christina that there's something valid there and it's just not yours or my audience. Like someone's really enjoying just the MacGyver aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. So but maybe the big theme that he could have went for was and you kind of touched on it a little bit, Christina. Um Thank you. Yes. There like the expenditure of resources and treasure national treasure Oh, he didn't
1: go into that at all right but yeah. or
0: to save a single person yeah and like and that so that w- would have been something more practical and not just like existential about what does it mean to be human on mars but just like is it worth it yeah. to do all of this for one person you can kind of bring that into the on the earth segments um because there seemed to be no blowback sometimes they'd mention it can you allocate these resources more practically on earth i would have liked to seen even like a wink in that direction, that this is...
1: One conversation in which someone is actually saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't save him. Why are we all, like, yeah. adoring this person? Yeah, well, there are people
0: get, dying on the streets right now, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, you do get the one director of NASA who's... On our is, street, like, actually, can't. sorry,
2: be careful. <laughs> no. They're rabid. And, I mean, coming from... I grew up in San Francisco, and coming from the city of Bat Kid, I've seen this <laughs> sort of emotional groundswell for one uh, kid, and I think... But, I mean, you did have the one NASA director who said, we're not going to sacrifice five lives for one, and he was uniformly dismissed as a complete asshole. Oh,
1: and I, a coward. Yes. A coward. I love he that. Because yeah. That was my
0: favorite Earth scene. It was so good.
1: Although, I guess the only line I liked of the book, um, although I don't think the book manifested this at all, was near the beginning when one of the NASA people said, uh, well, all astronauts are insane, are inherently insane. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Yeah. That was it. It was the only good line. <laughs> all right, so we've been talking around this maybe, but I do want to ask, this is obviously a podcast about speculative fiction, so we're here to read science fiction. Mm -hmm. How did this jive with your notion of science fiction? How did you think this...
0: this, (laughs) That's
1: pretty good. (laughs) This was as a science fiction book. No, that was something I brought in when I
2: picked the book. I didn't know much about it, and I thought... I don't know what I thought, but when I was reading it halfway through, I thought, I don't know if this really counts as science fiction. Mm-hmm. It's in space, and that's it, but I mean, I think Brie and I have had discussions about what defines science, or what defines sci-fi versus fantasy, and I'm not sure if there's a firm line, but I know what I have in my head, and I'm not sure if this fell into either camp. It's on spaceship, but it feels very realistic. Not sure if that's a strength or a weakness to the book. Um, that's not a profound observation about the book but it doesn't feel speculative at all okay, okay. so a, yeah
1: you go in there
0: yeah no I think that's I think that's a good point and there I mean like there are probably a billion ways to decide science fiction right I mean in many ways I think what we're going for is that this is not science or not speculative but in some ways it might be more science fiction than other things that are science fiction right mm-hmm. in which like the fiction, science fiction can be I guess defined as a, a way in which the fiction is derived from a scientific element not just like set in the future in which there is are sciencey things going on in the world Obviously, they're both valid as, like, definitions for science fiction.
1: So you two yeah. feel like this is, like, a like solid in terms of science fiction? Like, this is, like, a science fiction book? It's yeah. Pretty, I mean, yeah. I mean, I do like, I like the point of saying that it is speculative, or th- that it's not really speculative fiction, but it is sci-fi. Because just to get back to it, and I think we've talked about it on the show before, the bare-bones definition of science fiction versus fantasy is just that science fiction, science fiction provides uh, scientific-seeming explanations for the magic mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah.
0: Like, I think Christina might know more than us, but we're still kind of, like, taking it for granted that this is actual science and can work. Like, who, who really knows I about mean, what he's doing with his...
1: I agree, but extending it beyond to think what you go to science fiction for, did this book give me any sense of space? No. No. Did it give me any sense of another planet? No. I mean, or, or did it give me any sense of that science is a tool through which to, to meet wonders and to yeah. see unbelievable things? No, it didn't do any of that. It felt like he was in the desert.
0: I feel like this is just, you're not the audience for... Because I think someone would actually say, like, because it cues so much more closely to what science is and does, that it is, gives a much more realistic depiction of what, like, life out in space would be like. Just Um, nothing
1: matters less to me than if the science is sound in a science fiction book. It's all about suasion and convincing me that it's real through like the power of your rhetoric. Like I don't actually care if the science is real. I could read about science if I wanted to. Yeah, I guess I mean like something I ideas
2: sort of feel like in agreement with Bree is that it's a scientific book but I feel like sci-fi gives you this opportunity to explore broader themes and sci-fi and fantasy is inherently political in the the idea that you get to explore topics that are controversial and Andy Weir had no interest in that. There's no challenging ideas. There's no exploration of humanity. There's no, I mean, there's a huge opportunity in sci-fi and fantasy and he did not grasp onto that at all. Didn't interest him in the slightest. He throws in the line about what it means to be, you know, human and that's really great to be a human. (laughs) But, yeah, he didn't grasp, I feel like, I mean, like, it's sci-fi in the in the sense in the sense that it's in space, but there's no grasping of the possibility, so it feels cheap in a sense. Yeah, even I, though it's it's very well researched, it still feels somewhat cheap.
0: I agree. I think I think I like to be in this position in regards to Brie because you're usually the one that comes down on me and say you can't condemn a genre because you don't like the book or if you're not the like the audience. And I think I you are. I am the are,
1: audience for a sci-fi book. Though.
0: No, no, you are. You totally. But I think, and this isn't. I mean, not even whether it's a sci-fi book or not. Like what this is doing is just something that doesn't appeal to you and I, I don't think that means it fails in its own mission i think it's it's a really bad book but i think what it's you're mistaking what it's doing with a failure on trying to do something it's not trying to do what you want it okay, what this is doing is i am going i'm appealing to people who are maybe engineers and into, like, the nuts and bolts of how someone survives and uses mechanics and knowledge, their own, you know, ideas of how to put things together and how that might plausibly play out. And you're saying, I want you to give up that whole thing. Who cares about that? When he can't, like, not care about that because that is his, like, the raison d'etre of the book.
1: No, you can care about that. Just please present writing that makes it interesting. But my point is, I think with the popularity of this book, we can't say it's a book written for engineers, do you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously, this is a book that appeals to oh, a lot of people.
2: I think it's of for engineers. It's about how they're the coolest
1: guys in school. They are. All. They are. There's a there's a passage about how cool the old old time astronauts are that we'll get to in a second. I like that part. But oh my God. so I think maybe this is for people who want to read stories of human triumph. They're interested in astronauts or that space exists. But they're not interested in science fiction.
0: Here's what it is mm-hmm. for people who like adventure stories.
1: I actually said one of my notes says, "What the fuck is this an adventure story?" That's what it is. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah it's like Edgar Burroughs' Early Princess science of Fiction. I yeah. mean, Princess of Mars. Edgar Burroughs. It
1: was. I mean, there were Martians, but it was essentially the Old West, just in a different surrounding. Right. I mean, yeah. I think maybe like. Science fiction, or I would say genre in general, can do something with plot that makes it really propulsive. It makes it, ed- like, an adventure that you want to get into. But at the same time, I feel like science fiction is concerned with, like, culture in general.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no difference to me if you put Mark Watley in the middle of the Amazon after a plane mm-hmm, crash. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure this would be a different book in the slightest.
0: That's a, a good point. And I feel like people wouldn't care.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, like, do you need to have something bigger than that to count as sci-fi? I'm not sure. It's a good way, you yeah. can answer that, but... Yeah, fuck this book. <laughs> but can I ask you guys a question? When I was reading this book, like I've said multiple times, I think now in a very pitying voice, I didn't <laughs> enjoy this book. And I was reminded of when I read like The Da Vinci Code for the first time. And I thought, this is really stupid,
1: but I'm like hooked. <laughs> You're cooler than me. When I read The Da Vinci Code for the first time, I was like, oh my God. oh my god so good so good so when I read the Da Vinci
2: Code I was really entertained by it again because I think that that book is has a lot of flaws but I think it's very expertly paced and I thought this book was I really was like very concerned about whether
1: he would live or die did you guys I mean did you have an enjoyment reading it
0: it's a good It's a good point I think there's
1: hard no no I didn't enjoy reading this book I enjoyed this book Almost less than any book we've read. Cause really? Because there wasn't even, like, even the stuff that was sillier to make fun of. Mm-hmm. I could take no joy in it. I yeah. thought this book was boring. Well,
0: okay, so even if I'm, if I'm coming at it from the, did I just enjoy this on a wanting to know what will happen? Yeah. I felt like I knew 100 pages in that he was going to make it and no one would die. It just, I mean, it just seemed like this is the person who's writing it. And this yeah. is his tone and what he wants to do. Which, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And, I mean, we haven't talked about it, but I think you're right. The last 50 pages did pick up for me. It starts moving.
1: Oh, really? The beginning was the only part that had any propulsion for me. Um, Also, do you think this would have been a better book if he had died?
2: Well, when I entered the book, I sort of was, I entered reading it thinking he would die. Okay. And once I made that flip of thinking he was going to live and survive, it became a totally different book for me. Um, I just don't think Andy had the capacity to write a book that would be compelling if he lived. <laughs> like, I mean, time pages, than I thought, he has to live or else I'm going to throw this against the wall.
1: And understanding where this book goes in terms of message, I think that really lines up. Scott, before you answer if you would like the book more if he died, Can we read the last couple paragraphs of the book? I was pretty on board when I hit those. I thought, for fuck's sake. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is... What do we need to get from this? He's going to tell you. Straightforward. Yeah, because he hasn't really been, like, laying out heavy thematic shit. And then he does on the last page. The cost for my survival must have been hundreds of millions of dollars, all to save one dorky botanist. Why bother? (laughs) Well, okay, I know the answer to that. Part of it might be what I represent. Progress, science, and the interplanetary future we've dreamed up for centuries. But really, they did it because every human being has a basic instinct to help each other out. It might not seem that way sometimes, but it's true. He So then he goes on to say different scenarios in which naturally, legally, people have to set up rescue crews when people are lost. Rescue crews are $1,000, not $20 Exactly. Then he says, 000, yeah, exactly.
0: well, then he says
1: pretty cool, eh?
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, that was... He's got a really simple almost, like, admirably stupid, stupid. Conce- I mean, I conception of the world.
1: A, a very, you have to be very selfish to have that view of the
0: Not world. Not a selfish, no. I just feel like he actually is someone who thinks that everyone does help out other people all the time because people are good, without once thinking about how the world is presently constructed and, and whether we don't help people out.
1: To some extent, to have that outlook on life from the character at that moment Feels a that he's learned nothing, and b that oh, yeah. I there's something there's a real cruelty built into that worldview to me. Like, how can you say that? Like, people are dying.
0: He's a very simple person. Yeah. I feel like he's got a one track mind. And are we it's talking
1: like, about Mark Watney or Andy Weir? I mean, They're I mean, exactly. We have to that. I,
0: yeah, I haven't really considered whether or not
1: <laughs> there was one thing, Christina. You already referenced Buffy, so I can talk to you. Oh about my god, it. yes. Please. My favorite moment of the book was near the end. I mean, setting aside the fact that I like. Deep disliked the book <laughs> was near the end when they were talking to someone at NASA and she described communications five by five no I mean I know that's
2: Faith's key phrase I do not remember that part in the slightest
1: okay but the point is on Buffy Faith's thing like she's super cool and wears leather and maybe has tattoos and it's yeah like sexy in an ugly way I'm I'm not at all surprised that Mark Watt or sorry Angie Weir <laughs>
2: Has any more sexual fantasies involving faith. But here's
1: my thought. Like, is 5x5 five five a real expression? I didn't know that. It must be for him to use it. What does 5x5 five five mean? 5x5? Five five. Like, Faith is... he will be like, how's the hamburger? And she's like, 5x5. Five five. Do you think it's maybe, like, um, high-five by high-five? No way, because it's used by like a scientist in an official capacity. Who's never gotten a high five in his life. Well, I mean, Mark Watney does nothing but high fives and fist pumps. That's but, true. And, and yays
2: with exclamation points. It's, it's Can so I f- say there's a really good radio lab episode, which it, the theme is Patient mm. Zero, and they talk about yeah, who we was we promote f- other shit. podcasts. <laughs> Sorry. The first person ever high five is really great. Look it up. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Genre
1: stops the end. I'll be y'all. Thank you. Um, actually, our last guest host. Stephen Markley taught me how to high-five. You look at the other person's elbow. Elbow, yeah. Yeah. yo, mm-hmm. You knew? <laughs> right oh my God! Right. yeah. Fuck Stephen Markley.
0: Do it right now. <laughs> nice.
1: So good. Listeners, did you enjoy that? Yeah. <laughs> That's great radio. Radical <laughs> <Yes>. feminism. <laughs>
0: All right, cringe factor. What do we think? What's the cringeworthiness of reading this out in public? I kind of think this is a great cover. I love the different shades of the monochrome color. It's It's a basically an astronaut getting blown back in a really orange deserty environment looks strangely very professional for how amateurish the book is otherwise and it's like publishing history i think it's really effective it doesn't mean it's not kind of cringeworthy just for having a martian there uh so i'm gonna give it a two and a half for cringe not that bad i think it's actually effective but still kind of like really on the nose about what we're reading here miss jensen
2: yeah, I had actually no problem with the cover. I thought it was a really great cover. It was part of what drew me to the book. What um, number do you give it? So Oh,
0: she can talk. What's, <laughs> Jesus.
2: Um, so I had the same problem with this book that I had when I first started reading Game of Thrones, where I read this book at work on my lunch break and had somebody try and talk to me about it, which was Bad. deeply offensive. <laughs> the same way when I tried, tried to read, I think, um, A Feast for Crows in public and had multiple men try and talk to me, like a puppy. A man. I just like could not <laughs> defer the male attention when reading this book. Cool girl. I know. I thought the cover was actually really. I thought it was great. It gave me information of the plot. It was really compelling. I wanted to know more when I saw it.
1: Counter to, and I thought it looked very professional. Brie. So first, I, I I read this book almost exclusively in public. I read it in public a ton. In the beginning, I had no shame at all. I would give it like a. I would say like a a one because I don't like the word weird. Um, but I would give it like a one in terms of shame factor in the beginning, until I was over halfway through, and then I realized. I mean, all I knew about this was, was that it was a really popular book, and that it was a science fiction book. Once I was about halfway through, I I thought the book was so bad that yeah. then I became embarrassed to read it, just because reading a book in public, while really dressed up, does invite <laughs> people to say like, "Hey, what are you reading?" So yeah, I feel I felt like then I felt almost embarrassed to be reading it the way I imagined like. A lot of girls who are really into, like, fucking hardcore, awesome YA paranormal romance felt once they realized that Twilight was badly written, but then they were still holding it. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so I guess I would give it ultimately... I mean, the cover is not bad at all. If anyone has read the book and they see me reading it, then they're gonna think I'm just, like, an idiot, so I'm gonna give it a two.
0: Let's do some ratings. Wait,
1: I haven't worked in my awkward
2: um, segue about how Mark's attempt to terraform Mars is much like Sir Henry trying to terraform Sanditon into a vibrant... <laughs>
1: I'm obsessed with you.
2: Yes.
0: I want to hear it. What's this?
2: Well, much like in... Oh, nothing, Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> much like in Jane Austen's last unfinished work, Sanditon, Sir Henry is trying to terraform the Bristol
1: coastline into a vibrant...
0: <laughs> More more fake Jane Austen books?
1: Exactly. We have a devoted listener (laughs) here among us who can support me in the fact that Lady Susan is indeed a Jane Austen novel. Oh, book. it's
2: absolutely a Jane Austen novel. Yeah. As are her earlier works, The Beautiful Clarissa, <laughs> The History of England, and her last unfinished work, Sanditon, which was the novel of...
0: Excuse me? Sanditon.
2: <laughs> Sanditon. It's <laughs> of a coastal community and its inhabitants, some of who are drastically trying to keep up with the times and renovate the town so that it's a beacon for travelers and visitors, including making... State of the art baths, much like what Mark
1: Watley engineered out of flight suits in the have. Full circle. I have to say, though, you beat me because I always thought it was sandition, a pun on sedition. I, that I'm only not why.
2: I looked it up in multiple sources to, to guarantee it was sanditon. Sanditon. She began writing it in 1817, the year that she tragically died, in mm. her 50s. I don't know the exact year because I'm not the best she Jane I'd the ever.
1: She got 10 years too many. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's crazy because you guys don't know about a little Jane Austen book called uh, Martin Vilston. So. <laughs> Go fuck
1: yourself. <laughs>
0: You're lying.
2: You're lying.
0: <laughs> Jane Austen is stranded in bath Mm. and she has to piece together some whalebone corsets
1: (laughs) and as one does like at what point does jane austen prostitute herself in the book
0: throughout whalebone okay fine i don't i don't know jane austen that well it seems like no one did (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's actually good good scholarship point okay wrapping this up scott let's start with you how many evas evas do you give this
0: like solar cells speaking of souls and maybe a a lead into how i'll I'll rate this (laughs) the first 200 pages of the book he is reporting back logging into his souls pretty regularly and then he skips and i noted from day 211 to day 376 just doesn't make an entry and then comes back and says like oops so i got kind of bored didn't make one but here's what i've been doing i mean that was the difficulty that this book had between like doing what it was doing and, like, being a book. And so, yeah. like, skipping 150 days was not at all in the character of Mr. Did Watney. Did you feel the
2: firm hand of the editor at that moment? <laughs> like, he had sold it to a major publishing house, and they were like, look.
0: Maybe for trying to find middle ground between our guest and our host. God damn it. <laughs> I've come across as liking this book more than I have. I thought it was pretty bad. My point was that I think it's not for me. I think... There's totally reasons why we'd pick this and do it. I think he was writing a book that just wasn't there. I kind of don't think he has the ability to write a different book. And I kind of knew this from the beginning when his dedication says to mom who calls me pickle and dad who calls me dude. And I'm like, Which is oh,
2: more emotion no. than Mark Watley gave his parents <laughs> on their letter to him finding out he was newly alive.
0: It's true. It's true. But that kind of like really self serious, earnest, completely like. Worldview devoid of irreverence is actually what the book is. That is what the book did. It didn't work for me. For the first hundred and fifty two hundred pages, I kept a lot up with the scientific aspects. like I would like maybe I'll find some momentum here within the little mini problems he's doing every time. So I would read those. and by the end, I stopped reading those. I knew he was about to talk about nitrogen for a page, and so I'd wait to the end to see like, okay, he fixed he fixed that his vehicle. I was really, actually annoyed by his like his humorous interjections. I thought some of them weren't just like badly written, but kind of like indicative of a really. I don't know. I don't want to sound I mean. I just think he's a, he's like a really probably cheerful, smart. It's hard to be a writer and an engineer. It's just hard, probably. So it, it just didn't work. Like the disco thing, I've talked about it. It was really annoying. Just the assumption that his audience would share this worldview was, I thought, presumptuous. That's actually really shallow. Is. I mean, most grading. when, I mean, he obviously setting himself up for this joke, when he finally got in contact with NASA and they said, hey, like, the next thing you do, like, the whole world's listening. And he sent back, like, a boob joke. I don't know. Maybe someone was there, but it wasn't me. So I'm giving this a 2.5 out of 10.
1: I think you defended this pretty valiantly for a book you're giving a 2.5.
0: I was defending its right to have this perspective.
1: First of all, in my personal life, I'm like a holy, subjective person.
0: You are very holy.
1: I wear a lot of black. Or a lot of white. (laughs) What makes holiness? I'm subjective, even thinking objectively about our rating system, which is the bane of my existence. It's about balancing out my enjoyment of the book with what I thought was the quality of the book. I would say my enjoyment of the book was a three, and the quality of the book was a one. Even the bad books we've read for this, even fucking Assassin's Apprentice... There was so much more pleasure in that book for me than in this book, which felt almost which felt kind of like a movie that I didn't want to watch. And a movie's only two hours. And reading a book is a lot more hours. And so someone um, write that down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I'm I'm surprised you gave it a two point five because I thought this was gonna be like this wow moment where I give it this low rating, but I'm giving it a two. I liked uh, every book we've read including Dragon Lair more than this. book. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm it's, so ashamed to have picked. <laughs> no, I mean it's not that You're this dupe. book it's not that this book was great. worse than yeah. those books. It's that for me there was nothing to enjoy in it. It was a barren desert <laughs> landscape much <laughs> like red planet. Exactly, in which you needed the right amount of CO two. I mean, all those parts. Yeah. Actually, even now, knowing now that the science was right makes me hate it more.
2: <laughs> okay, to give him my rating, it's gonna take me a second to work through it. It's yeah, um, I'm story. gonna give him <laughs> more thought than this book deserved because yeah, I agreed there are a lot of problems with this book. And then when I was reading, and I thought, I'm enjoying this. Why the hell am I enjoying this? And I was trying to justify it in my mind. So I remember hearing years ago that when the showiers for like Grey's Anatomy write their shooting scripts, I mean they sketch out the bones of sort of the emotional arcs they want to hit but they need you know their characters who are like surgeons to do these medical scenes and so what they'll do because they don't tend to have medical degrees is right so when the patient's presenting with medical 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 oh, okay, I see that, medical, medical. But wait, medical, medical. And then they bring in... uh, Is that true?
1: I respect the writers of Grey's Anatomy so much more now. No, it's... They're hilarious. And then they bring in a care... And then they'll
2: bring in, um, like, a specialist who will say, pulmonary embolism, chest pain, insert here. Because they don't have a medical background. And, like, genuinely, you don't actually need to know the symptoms of such, you know, chest pains and shortness of breath actually mean pulmonary embolism. And that was, like most of what I was working through this book was just skimming through like I get it you know how to retrofit uh, a so-and-so solar cell blah blah blah. don't give a shit so yeah I'm struck with like wondering why I didn't enjoy this book because I found myself enjoying it when I was going along and not mad that I Read it and not willing to give it up when I was reading it. I mean, partially it was the pressure of you would record a genre stop episode <laughs> in five months, so you have to finish this damn thing. And I thought, God damn it, I will. I'm an American, much like Ma- Mark Watley, our hero.
1: <laughs> oh, we forgot to talk about how
2: American. He's so yeah. goddamn American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's desperately aided by the fact that it's a short book, it's 303 pages. And I don't think, and I mean, I'm going to argue, it didn't feel its length. I mean around page sixty five I started thinking like why am I doing this? And then I jumped back to Earth and I thought, I'm on board again. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was genuinely, like, pulled into the plot of it. I wasn't bored through most of it, although I was skimming a fair amount of it. So, yeah, I think I'd give it, like, maybe five and a half, six solar cells. Okay. Nice. There were a lot of problems with it, but I was genuinely, like, not mad that I read it. I guess I'm the voice of the people is what the listeners nice. need Nice. We need the masses. Something, I'm the voice of the masses. masses. Mark Watley survived because he's an American, and Americans are
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah, I have no deeper thoughts on I this. completely support your rating being based on just, like, I was into it. I mean, like I, I
2: love I, that. It'd be really disingenuous because, like, I'm embarrassed that I liked it, but genuinely, the last fifty pages, the, my friend didn't lie. I couldn't put it down. I had a gigantic smile on my face when he was rescued. And it, you're, you're me talking about Vampire Diaries. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> It'd be really false if I said, I mean, like, I don't think, I think some people will be upset. I mean, like, just go into this knowing. It's not a sophisticated treatise on the human's condition. It's an enjoy. it's a great script treatment for a Ridley Scott. Film. At least he didn't try to be Prometheus. We Michael Fassbender said Yeah, Michael Fassbender is sexy, but The Martian didn't try to be more than it was. And I think that it's a fair compliment to it. It wasn't trying to be more than it was you know or who else trade? didn't try
0: to be more than he was Hitler <laughs> oh god no <laughs> was I was gonna say Mark Twain
2: well I gave it a solid six solar cells
0: I like against a steady barrage of criticism and I mean honestly hate from Brie that our guest stood up, <laughs> stood up for her beliefs.
1: Oh, God, I'm running for the shot <laughs> throw it at me. I exactly. do. I respect your giving this. i so still failing, I but th- passing. I think the audience should know that
0: I'm
2: a librarian. I'm the voice of the reading public. Yes. There's only one person fighting this fight. It's me. So they have to stand by me, me right now. Yes. So i going to stock it. Christina's librarian. We're going to link to
1: her Suicide Girls page. <laughs> Oh, just my ex video. Sorry. It's dark. Okay, so that is another genre stop episode. <laughs> Join us next Our week.
0: Our traditional sign off.
1: <laughs> Join us next week when we read and review and have so much fun reading and reviewing what are we Scott doing? Say It.
0: Oh, Cold Magic by Terrible Kate choice. Elliott. Shh. Oh, yeah.
1: That was frost going over the whole microphone. The
0: snowflakes. Young, young.